Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is the Dear Doc Podcast, and this is your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower. Before we begin, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors. How would you like revenue coming into your practice even before you reopen? Abella is the first and only solution that is helping practices to collect more money and faster. The best thing is that you can try it for free from now until June 30th. All you have to do is email info at abellaar.com for more information. That email address, once more, is info at A-B-E-L-L-A-A-R.com. And hey, Abella, thanks so much for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, guys, this is Dr. Huffpower. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. Today, I'm actually joined in studio uh, by someone who has always been kind of a uh, a hero to me whenever it comes to organized dentistry. Don't leave me like that. It's true. So, uh, and that is Dr. Dr. Tommy Harrison. And so I really want to um, just kind of tell his story. Uh, this is hopefully part of a two or a three part podcast series um, that we talk about people who have devoted their lives to organized dentistry uh, and, and kind of help to, um, to, to save our, our society, uh, to save our profession for the rest of us, even if we're not involved. So, Tommy, how are you doing today? Doing great, Chris. Well, thank you so much for joining us here in the, um, here in the studio. And uh, you, you drove over an hour to get here. So, no problem. Well, um, man, I, I, guess, um, I guess begin at the beginning. So, talk to me a little bit about who, who you are, um, what you, who you are as a dentist, and then let's uh, let's drag the drag time back a bit and talk a little bit about how you got involved in organized dentistry, and um, and, and what it has meant to you. And and, and I'm, I'm going to really let, let you kind of tell your own story here. I'll ask a couple of questions along sure. the way. Um, so, who are you? Uh, what who are you today? Okay. Uh, well, I'm a general dentist. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. Uh, I. Uh, my practice is uh, in Katy. Uh, I started practicing in November of 1979. 1979. Uh, I graduated from Baylor College of Dentistry that year, and you know Baylor's in Dallas. Now it's Texas A&M College of Dentistry. Uh, but when I graduated from Baylor, uh, my buddy from high school actually we met first day of school in uh, first grade. Uh, Gary Garrison uh, was graduating from the University of Texas Dental Branch at the same time, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we went into practice together. Uh, we started a scratch practice together in Katy. At that time, we were the seventh and eighth dentists opening wow. in Katy. How uh, things have changed, yeah. Huh? Uh, and uh, and so we were uh, actually we were getting we were together during Thanksgiving break uh, during our senior year. So that would have been November of uh, 1978 uh, back in our hometown of Temple, Texas at a, a beer joint, uh, shooting pool, drinking a few beers. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a few beers, we were kidding about going into practice with each other. And so the talk seemed to be going a little bit in a direction we didn't really plan on. 
And so Gary said, let's go over to my house and sit down and talk for a while and see, see if this might work. And so we did. And, uh, and so that's where we came up with the idea of Harrison and Garrison family dentistry. I, I actually like the play on, uh, the play on the, the rhyming of the, of, of the name. Oh yeah. yeah, that was, that was, we were, uh, Harrison Garrison goes back a ways. Uh, <laughs> well, well to first grade too. Well, yeah. so. <laughs> but, but we, we, uh, I ended up being the best man in his wedding. He was the best man in my wedding. Right. Gary and I were, were like brothers. We were study buddies uh, during uh, junior high and high school to, to you know, challenge each other. And we uh, uh, all, you know, both of us got into dental school. One of our other buddies, Jeff Andrews, got into medical school. And uh, so when we were in high school, we were also, in junior high, we were also active in sports and football was our sport. And so mm. we, Gary and I, I was linebacker and guard. Okay. And so Gary and I played, I played right linebacker, Gary played left linebacker, I played right, right guard, Gary played left <laughs> guard. And when we got on, we were l- lucky enough to get onto the varsity at Temple High mm-hmm. our junior year. Then uh, we were actually on the, on the depth chart. We were third uh, string linebackers. Uh, but when, because of the way we worked together kind of as a team, even back then, right? whenever the the first string was messing up one of the guys, one of the other, they'd say Harrison and Garrison get in there and Harrison and Garrison would go running onto the field. And so we kind of got that moniker of Harrison Garrison going back to high school football. And so therefore, yeah, it's, it's like a, a alliteration in a way it sticks in your head. And so it did it, it, that helped with our marketing standpoint and and Katie, people could remember that. But we, what we did being the seventh and eighth dentist and Katie, Chris, uh, we were concerned. Oh my gosh, there's so many dentists out here. How are we ever ever going to succeed? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, well now, Katie was a much smaller place oh, back yeah. then. I think yeah. people forget Katie was ba- yeah. basically agrarian at that time. That's right. There was one high school, but there was a second high school being built, and we put our practice in a strip shopping center right in that same area where the second high school was going to be located, Taylor High School, Katie Independent School District, and uh, and so Gary and I. Part of our planning was, well, how are we going to set ourselves aside in the marketplace? Right. And so the decision we made was, well, we, we've, we've, we've got 2,000 square feet and we plumbed for six chairs, but we only put in two, two chairs initially to cut down on our overhead. Absolutely. Didn't have much staff, didn't need much staff. Right. Uh, we were used to working by ourselves in dental school. Uh, and so we decided, let's offer extended hours. So we worked uh, from eight in the morning till nine at night, Monday through Thursday, eight to two Friday and Saturday, and uh, really set the market on its ear. You know, dentists who have been out there for a while, <clears throat> excuse me, as we would meet them, <clears throat> would would say, "Oh, you you guys will cut down those hours in no time at all." Because, right. uh, but we didn't. We stuck with it, and so uh, the concept was. Uh, we, we worked split shifts. I wasn't working 13 hours a day, right. but I would work the eight to two shift on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Gary would work the three to nine shift on those days. And then we'd flip flop. Uh, and so the idea was eight in the morning till nine at night, that, that span between two and 3 PM right. would, would be a time for the first shift to clean up, uh, do its uh, lab slips and get everything spick and span for the next group coming on. Uh, and we quickly, you know, deviated from that. And I started cheating before Gary did. I'd say, Gary, could, it's okay if I work until three o'clock That's uh, on hilarious. Tuesday because I, I've got a case that I need to do. So the best thing about Gary and I and the way we were able to stay 
together as a partnership for 27 years was communication. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I really like what you say there. Um, you know, as you know, I, I run the business of dentistry. And one of the things that I tell people, um, obviously, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, because I'm bringing in an associate to kind of take some of that load off. But maximizing your physical plant in every possible way that you can, because, you know, you're having to pay for light bills and rent and, 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 and notes on your dental equipment 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, if you're not maximizing that, then you're really, you're really not tapping into the true potential of your practice. And so the idea was, you know, how can we work for that many hours? Well, we weren't working that many hours. I would work Monday through Saturday one week, Monday through Thursday the next. So every other weekend, I had a three-day weekend. I was off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And so, uh, you know, my wife and I got married one year before I graduated from dental school. Uh, and, uh, and so we're still married. Uh, and so I was able to maintain that relationship with her. We have two children who now are adults and four grandchildren. So I'm, uh, I've lived, I've practiced for 40 years in the KD community, but the start was very important. So, you know, that this, um, this is the kind of thing you don't hear about anymore because of the way that, um, the way that dental schools choose applicants these days, I Mm -hmm. I think is very, very different. Um, you know, I, I know, back whenever you first entered school, you had to carve a tooth out of soap and several other things, right? Uh, that were very different than the purely academic standards that they go by now. And I think, honestly, in a very real way, um, we've done ourselves some harm as a profession by doing that. By the way, folks, all of the opinions I express here are my own, and they're not Tommy's, unless Tommy says they are. So um, it really just kind of leads me to another question, though. And and that question is, at what point in your life, I mean, you, you've got this best friend from first grade. At what point in your life did you decide you want to become a dentist? What point did he decide he wanted to become a dentist? Well, that's a good question, Chris. So Gary decided he wanted to be a dentist early on. Okay. Uh, I can remember him saying. So he beat you to the punch on this oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you cheated first, so uh, it's okay. <laughs> and so I decided I wanted to become a dentist when I didn't get accepted to medical school. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Gary got accepted right out of college. So he went from his senior year in college right into dental school. Right. And during my junior, senior year, I was applying for medical school. I had good grades, good uh, uh, extracurricular stuff, all the stuff I'd done in, in college leadership-wise and everything, uh, good recommendations. But my, da- my MCAT score was uh, lacking. To gotcha. Uh, and, uh, and so therefore I didn't get into medical school. I won't go tell that long story. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, uh, started then my graduate year. I said, well, I haven't graduated from, I have graduated from uh, college, haven't gotten into med- dental school. What am I going to do? So I started working on my master's in marketing at Texas tech. That's where I went to college. Mm-hmm. And I figured with a master's in marketing and a BA in chemistry, that I could get a job with a pharmaceutical company Absolutely. or American hospital supplier or something like that and live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I applied for dental school uh, because I still was had a passion for being involved with the healthcare professions and was fortunate enough to have been accepted uh, in late November of, I guess, 1975. Uh, and so I, I bailed out of, of the economics course I was taking at that time. It was eating my lunch uh, and finished up that semester and then took off that spring semester 
earned some money before dental school started. So That's I started dental school in 1976. Gary started dental school in 1975. Way back then, there was a self-paced program Absolutely. at UTDB. And so you could get out in three years or four years and end up, well, the majority of that class mm-hmm. ended up graduating in four years. And Gary was in that majority group. Right. And I uh, was able to get out in three years because I was on a, uh, not a self-paced program, but Baylor's paced program uh, from 76 to 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most, a lot of people look back at their dental school years as being just hell. It's horrible. You know, some of the worst years of their life. And, uh, you know, when I think back, Chris, of course, you know, you tend to forget the bad, right. and remember the good. Uh, I, I have a lot of fond memories of dental school. It was hard. It was tough. You know, I lost a lot of weight during that time, right. lost a lot of sleep, but uh, I was president of my class, my first year, second year, third year. I, since it was only three years, it was freshman, sophomore, junior, senior class. Right. And so I, I was involved in the leadership position at that time because that was my passion as well. And so luck had it. We, even though he started dental school a year before I did, we both got out at the same time. And we say, we shared the same basic values since we mm-hmm. were raised together. Right. And I think that has, you know, a lot of times nowadays people are going into group practice situations, but we were rather unique in that we started off as a scratch practice. In mm-hmm. effect, like a different marriage. And Absolutely. So Gary had his wife. I had my wife. We both still have our wives, but we definitely had almost that, like that's a marriage. An, that's an accomplishment in and of itself <laughs> these days. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you, you, you have this really a partner in, in your profession and you had, as, as a dental student, you had shown some proclivity for um, taking on leadership roles. What was it? Was it just a natural flow from being a leadership in a, in a leadership position in school to becoming a leader in the dental community through organized dentistry? Or was there some sort of um, some sort of triggering event, some sort of, you know, um, catharsis that you said, I've got to do this. Yeah. Talk to me about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how far back to go, Chris. When I, <laughs> when I was a, uh, when I was in the fifth grade, my dad uh, ran for sheriff of Bell County uh, and, uh, and he lost. Uh, but I was very involved in his campaign. When I say very involved, I mean, my dad was running for a public office. And so when he was at the kitchen table, doing his ad that was going to be the layout for his ad in the temple daily telegram. Right. Then I was right there beside him watching his thought process when he was on the stump at the SPJST hall, giving a speech about running for office after about the third time I knew his speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so instead of watching him, I'd be watching people in the audience, watching him, and to say the least, I got the bug. And so even though he lost, then I, I, I learned a lot from that process. And so uh, yeah, I was involved in leadership situations in high school that followed into college as president of my fraternity and chairman of the student council, uh, not the, student, the chairman of the health committee of, uh, of, at Texas Tech. And uh, so I was just uh, that person that would rather be in a meeting with a smaller group of people deciding, looking at all the issues, deciding what would be the best alternative and then going forth with the membership to present that. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be that person than to be the person in the audience listening to that report 
and wondering what the hell were they thinking were they thinking when they made that decision i'd rather be on the inside and so yes doing that it takes away from your personal time with your wife and then subsequently Absolutely. kids and and you know that chris from Absolutely. all the stuff that you do and so the practice the, the practice model that Dr. Garrison and I had working split shifts really afforded me the opportunity to get really involved in organized dentistry from the get-go. So as a, as a new member to, of the, at that time, Houston District Dental Society, uh, they had monthly meetings. I think my first monthly meeting was in September of... 2000, let me see, 19, 1970, it would have been 1980, because I graduated from dental school in July. Uh, no, so it would have been 1979 mm -hmm. in September, and so I, I could not wait to go to my first meeting of the Greater Houston, of the Houston District Dental Society. And so I went there, just dressed up, and tried to uh, have my, uh, you know, put my best foot forward, and I was just amazed. It was just room full of, uh, of dentists, and there was lots of discussion back then, the monthly meetings, uh, there was a lot of discussion on issues. And I remember the very first meeting, uh, there was a dentist at that time named F.M. Dollar. Mm -hmm. F.M. Dollar was the dentist who started Southern Dental. Southern Dental was a DSO. They right. didn't call them DSOs <clears throat> back then. And that was, that was a huge departure from the way oh. things had been done, particularly and, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to, to speak to this simply because I know your, your background now. Yeah. Um, so was advertising. Oh, yeah. So go, go ahead oh, and uh, go continue. You, can you go there? Oh, sure. Okay, fantastic. So, uh, so anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the, the FM Dollar, was his name was being brought up as a prospective member. Uh, and so here I already am a member. I'm sitting in my first meeting. And FM Dollar, after discussion, was voted down. Mm. And, I, and I thought to myself, I didn't really know anybody in that room. I was at a table of 10. I didn't know anybody at that table. I didn't know anybody in the room. Right. But I was thinking, <clears throat> how in the world did I get voted in? And this guy, who I've seen through advertising, got voted down. Well, I soon right. found out why. Uh, mm. And uh, so advertising. Uh, my first job. Actually, before my practice, Gary, Dr. Garrison and mine's practice started in November of 1979. It took a while for groundbreaking uh, and construction to take place. I graduated in June, so I needed work. Uh, I, needed, right. I couldn't wait Absolutely. to get started. So I found a job. Uh, back then, the, there was uh, Patterson Dental, but there was also another company called HealthCo. So HealthCo has since gone chapter 11 or chapter 9. It went under, but back then, uh, uh, my health co representative went a, really had more to do. His name was Jeff Booker. He's now uh, right at the age of retirement. He's a, a big executive with ADEC uh, out in Oregon. Uh, American, uh, I don't know what ADEC stands for, but mm -hmm. Jeff is still, still a dear friend. And, and Jeff did a lot of legwork for Gary and I to get us started uh, to find our location. And, uh, and so uh, at that time, uh, Working, Jeff got me the interview with Dr. Stone, uh, mm -hmm. and Dr. Jim Stone was my first boss. I went and interviewed with him. He hired me on the spot, and so I started. Uh, and, and working for Jim, uh, he was out there. You know, he he was in the same 
graduating dental school class with Jack Castle, mm-hmm. who eventually became Absolutely. Castle Dental. And so, Which is love it now, right? Yeah, yep, that's right. And so uh, uh, Jim, you know, had a passion for organized dentistry as well. And uh, he had uh, a number of, he had a business model where he had young dentists like myself right out of dental school that would work for him for a year or two or three until they, their private practices took off and then they would leave. And so I was, to me, one of the lucky ones that, that got a really good job mm-hmm. in a well-oiled machine. Of, yes. You know, they had three dental assistants, uh, three chairs, uh, and no hygienist. And so I was the dentist on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mm-hmm. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, come November, I worked out in Katy uh, and, and every other Saturday. So uh, there was days, Chris, when I would work eight to five for Dr. Stone uh, at, the, at the office in uh, Northeast Houston and then drive 30 plus miles back to Katy and see patients from six to nine in Katy. I was hungry. I, 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 I lived a similar life with my <laughs> startup. I think you have to. Um, when, when I first opened, uh, I was open Monday through Friday and I was open from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. And um, it's simply what you had to do. And, and then in, but in, in my case, I did burn out on those hours yeah. uh, because it was only me. And yeah. so I can, man, I, I, I wish I had had a partnership like that. It sounds like uh, you really, you really had a, a great person to move forward with. Yeah, so that kind of brings us to uh, the beginning of where you uh, entered the picture in, um, in organized dentistry, you've just gone to your first meeting mm-hmm. and you kind of are starting to see the internal politics of the way that things work. And um, it, it's a couple of things interesting to me about this, this story as we've gone forward. I was born in 1974 mm-hmm. and I entered dental school when you became president in 2008. So um, it's interesting how much things have changed and how much they've stayed the same mm-hmm. in that time period. So um, now I know that our, at our meetings, we're, we're desperate to get any dentist yeah. who moves into the area to join yeah. and you guys were rather exclusive. So talk to me a little bit about that, about the changes you've seen in organized dentistry over that time. And, um, and your vision of, what we can do moving forward to improve our position uh, so far as um, the respect and the, um, I hate to say power, but the power that our profession has in, in governmental bodies. All right. I'll, I'll do my best. It's, 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 it's a big, it's a big question. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, you know, as a new member of the greater Houston dental society, I, I, this, truth be told, in my mind, I was going to be president of that dental society someday. Mm-hmm. And, and so with that, with the goal in mind, I'm a big disciple of Stephen Covey and the seven habits of highly effective people. Right. I hadn't read the book back then, but I was already doing some of those things. And so I read the book in 1990 and, and it was, it was perfect for my life. Uh, so what I started to do right from the beginning was, well, I've got to learn the civics. I've got to learn the rules, the laws. Uh, and so right. uh, back then there was no internet. Uh, and so uh, I basically befriended myself 
with the executive director of the Houston District Dental Society. Right. I got involved in the, on the committee level. The committee that was best for me at the time and where the biggest void was, was DENPAC. DENPAC stands for Dental Political Action Committee. Mm-hmm. When you're the DENPAC, the DENPAC organization in Texas is uh, well organized. It started in the 60s. So it was up and running for more uh, almost uh, 15 years or so when I came on the scene. Uh, and uh, But it was really hard to get a local component dental society representative for DENPAC. And, uh, and so therefore, as a first year member, after I finished that first year, uh, and I was still in my first calendar year of being a dentist, the current president, incoming president was a, a dentist named Terry Dickinson. Uh, and Terry Dickinson uh, asked me if I would want to be co-chair of DENPAC. And so I said, yes, sir. Uh, and, uh, and so therefore, since I started to me, right, as a first year member, as a chair, a co-chairman of a committee, uh, then uh, I was going to be the best DENPAC rep in the entire state. There's 26 component dental societies in the state of Texas. So I was one of 26 DENPAC reps. Now, obviously mm-hmm. all dental components don't have a DENPAC rep, uh, but being a larger component dental society, uh, uh, Houston did. And so I, I got into it full speed. So without going through all of those years, that beginning as DENPAC rep for the Greater Houston Dental Society, within a relatively short period of time, I worked on my way, my way on to the DENPAC board of directors. I was asked uh, back, back then, the, uh, Dennis uh, Sam Rogers was president of the TDA at that time. He took time from his busy schedule to drive back and forth to Austin a lot. He had driven to Austin on a Saturday uh, and uh, was attending the DENPAC board meeting as the TDA president. And the two DENPAC board members that represented the Houston area, neither one of them were at that meeting. So he, on his way back, or right before he left, because he couldn't, didn't have car phones back then. Right. Before he left, he called me on the phone and he said, Tommy, uh, I'm at this meeting. Your DENPAC rep for Houston, our DENPAC board members from the Houston area aren't at this meeting. Would you like to serve on the DENPAC board? And I said, yes, sir. Uh, and so uh, I got on the DENPAC board, and from there I worked my way uh, onto the executive committee and became chair of DENPAC uh, within 10 years of graduating from dental school in 1985. Uh, and so by being chair of DENPAC for that for a three-year period, 85 to 88, uh, to me I was in the inner circle on the state level of leaders. Right. Uh, and it gave me a great opportunity to get a really good start at leadership at a young age. And, and some great insight, I imagine. Uh, it, it's been my experience that most people view organized dentistry as either the bad guys yeah. or um, as a good old boys club. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they think that these things are so exclusive. In, in reality, my experience has been just the opposite. Um, <laughs> I went to a meeting, this older dentist, uh, Milton Howard. I don't know if you know, I know Milton. Milton. I thought you well. might. And so Milton is the one who harangued me. And uh, basically, he volunteered me. Uh, he said, Christopher, I know, I know you've got a lot of energy. You're a young guy. And, you know, I was just thinking, would, would you mind doing this for me? I had no idea what I was volunteering for. But Milton had always been very kind to me. And um, in, in school, because he would come to some of the uh, meetings there. And I said, well, 
sure, Dr. Howard, anything for you. And that is how I became secretary of the ninth district. <laughs> secretary leads to president. The Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And um, it was from there in, in a very similar fashion to your own story. Uh, it just became a series of opportunities to serve. And uh, the only thing that holds you back once you say, yes, I'll help is you is where you decide you want to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And to go there, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to my, to my business model. Right. Uh, I had a passion uh, to be the best dentist I could possibly be. And so to be that best dentist, the best CE opportunities were through the dental society by virtue of my membership and going to meetings. I was going to get a lot of continuing education, which was mm-hmm. a requirement for, uh, for my membership. Uh, and, uh, actually it wasn't at that time, but right. I, can, I can tell that story too. But, uh, do, do you feel that that suffered uh, the quality of the dental, um, CE that's offered by the society meetings, or do you think you just have to look for the right one? Oh, you gotta look for the right one. Uh, <clears throat> so the, I, we can go that rabbit, rabbit trail now, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I don't know how many years I got in the eight and the TDA house of delegates in about, I don't know, 1982, 83, you know, uh, since I was getting involved on the local level and, and, you know, when you're appointed to the TDA house of delegates, then you go to the house of delegates as a delegate and you get fired real quick. If you don't go there and do a good job. Because who's watching over you? Your other delegates, right. and and they determine who goes. It, it's a nominating committee process for the Greater Houston Dental Society. So you know when I when I got on the uh, the House of Delegates, I I once again I want to be the best delegate possible. Absolutely, uh, that's my passion. Uh, and is you know because I spoke earlier, my passion is private practice dentistry and being the best dentist. To me, part of that is being a very involved member, and and so. Uh, so anyway, I'm in the House of Delegates for several years, and the debate comes up about uh, the Dental Practice Act, uh, the sunset process was coming up. And uh, we were debating on the floor of the House of Delegates whether to mandate 12 hours of continuing education. Mm-hmm. And I was on the side of the argument of, yes, we should mandate, that the, we're going to be told to, be do that, to do that anyway. So let's take the first step and, 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 and manage that ourselves. And we should be in favor of that. And one of my good friends, uh, still alive, we're still good friends. We were on opposite sides of this debate. Fred Arbach from Dallas took mm-hmm. the other side. Right. And his side was, we should not be mandated to do continuing education. And if you mandate it, then they're going to pop up all these CE uh, courses that are just done for somebody to make some money. And, and they're not going to be quality CE. So we should control that CE but we shouldn't get out in front on this issue. We should wait until we're mandated by the state and then we'll, we'll tackle it, but we shouldn't mandate dentists to do continuing education. And if, as it turned out, Craig's, uh, uh, Fred's argument won the day mm-hmm. and, 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 and my debate wasn't as good as his or the, the membership just didn't feel that was the right thing to do at that time. But you know, within that year we did, that's when they instituted 12 hours of, of, of mandatory continuing education. That must have been back in the 80s sometime or early 90s. Been around a long time, Chris, with well, a lot of battles. And one of the things <laughs> I've learned is that, you know, you can speak your, your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, to me, that's one of the great things about the 
Greater Houston Dental Society is they've tolerated me because sometimes I'm not in concert with the rest of our delegation. Uh, I'll go to the local meetings before we get to the meeting and hear what other people are thinking because mm-hmm. I've already read all the background material and formulated my own idea. And then I start hearing, wow, I hadn't looked at it like that. And, and so I'll express my view on the local level. And sometimes I get this shaking of the head. Oh my gosh, Tommy's not thinking <laughs> Tom, like we Tom, are. Tommy now. has another pet project. <laughs> yeah. And then when we get to San Antonio where the meeting is held and get into our caucuses and I would still voice my opinion that might not have been in line with the, Greater Houston Dental Society. And then when it gets to the House of Delegates, then uh, whatever decision is made by the ruling body of the Texas Dental Association, then I'm okay with it. And Absolutely. then you, you put that to rest because I'm, I'm still going to be a member. I'm going to be an active member. And I'm- I think uh, a lot of times, and, and that's the, <clears throat> the key word you have there is active. I think that a lot of times uh, people feel as if they're owed something simply because they are members and they feel as if their money should be working for them. But in reality, uh, unless you come out, particularly if you have an unpopular sentiment um, or something that isn't being discussed by everyone, I, I think that it's very important for us to to express those things. I, I'm, I've... Um, I've been called somewhat of a lightning rod myself, which is probably why I like you. But um, its uh, I think it's our duty to the profession to not just um, follow along like a bunch of sheep, but to really truly lead. And sometimes leading means, you know, taking the path less traveled. Yep. Uh, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> and, and I've, uh, yeah, to me, the idea of, uh, of, of involvement means uh, you, you just have to understand the process. And once I figured out how the House of Delegates works, then uh, uh, the House of Delegates, when the gavel hits, uh, it uh, used to be on Sunday and now it's Saturday, then that de- that debate that took place that day, that, that then goes into uh, to the, now we have to get these, these uh, resolutions passed. Many of them just stay internally within the, TDA, some of them involve the legislative process. So being involved early on as uh, and with the political action committee, uh, I learned the legislative process uh, and uh, that was a passion of mine anyway. Uh, and so those go hand in hand. I'm, I'm curious, and this is a tiny bit off topic, a little personal, sure. but um, I don't know about you. And this was only my second house of delegates. I was really sad that we didn't have it this year. I, I, yeah. I honestly, the first time I went, I was such a bundle of nerves. It was because I was a new delegate and I was bringing forth a, a, a an amend or a bill, and uh, I, uh, I had no idea what was going on. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> but um, I actually, whenever I found out we were going to have to cancel it, I was really bummed out. Has this ever happened before that we haven't had the House of Delegates and? How do you how do you feel that the last year that you were practicing dentist because obviously you're going to continue going with 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 organized dentistry uh, that that House of Delegates didn't meet? Yeah, it's uh, what we're going through now is just unprecedented. It truly is, and, it, and we can overuse that word, but I think that this is probably the most appropriate conditions I've ever seen for the use of the word unprecedented or the use of the phrase game changer. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, 
Yeah, I was sad, but the, actually the TDA House of Delegates is going to meet mm -hmm. uh, virtually, uh, right. you know, online uh, through the Internet uh, in mid-June, I believe. Uh, I think caucuses will begin sometime around June 4th. Uh, and so there will still be uh, a meeting, but it won't be like, like, the, like the old days. Uh, uh, you know, to me, I, uh, there's so many calendars within the Texas Dental Association. Right. So there's a calendar year that begins in January, but the TDA year is kind of like school year. It, uh, uh, it, it begins in September. Our offices change in May, but uh, pretty much the dental societies take off during, during the summertime. A lot of planning and stuff mm -hmm. is done, but the component society meetings start in September and they run through April, if you will. Uh, and then everybody gets ready for the House of Delegates, which takes in May, take place in May, and then leadership take uh, changes. Uh, I noticed, by the way, on the uh, on the, on Facebook last night, uh, Shaylee uh, from uh, Austin is uh, going to become is now president of the Capital Area Dental Society, but she did it like this, so, sworn in virtually. Yeah, I, it, I saw that. It was sworn in from her home. Uh, and cause we can't get together as right. a group and it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we still don't know what's going to take place with the ADA house of delegates, uh, in, uh, Orlando that's supposed to take place. Uh, that final decision will be made in June. Uh, I started in the ADA house of delegates, Chris, in 1988. Uh, I got elected at our caucuses, which take place, uh, normally in San Antonio. Uh, uh the, the, uh, uh, I'd been to all of those caucuses ever since I've started going to the state meeting. Uh, and, uh, and so when you go to the caucus, anybody, you don't have to be a member of the Dallas of delegates of the Texas dental association or your whatever constituent dental society you're a member of. You just show up at the caucuses, or at least that's the way we do it in Texas. And we right. vote for our delegates and alternate delegates and our leaders in that caucus process. So, uh, uh I got elected on a last ballot in 1988. Uh, I guess it would have been 1982. Seven. No, it was that nineteen eighty-eight because that was in May, and I went to the house uh, in uh, in ADA uh, house in October of nineteen eighty-eight, which was in Washington D.C. That was my first ADA House of Delegates. I've been in the house ever since, so I'm I'm one of the most tenured delegates, the the most tenured delegate from from Texas, but one of the most tenured delegates in the ADA House of Delegates uh, because of my passion there. So. I think that, um, I think, you know, I'm actually going to entitle this podcast, a life of service. Mm -hmm. So I know a handful of the things that you've done. Um, can you list off every single position? I'm going to challenge you here. <laughs> every position that you've ever held either in Texas or nationally with the ADA. I have my resume over here, but let me just, <laughs> instead of uh, look, looking at a list and reading it off, uh, let me just go from memory as much as I can. All right. Uh, I guess I'll start on the local level. Uh, uh, I'd already mentioned that I uh, was uh, first committee chair was uh, DENPAC uh, became chair in 1980 uh, and, uh, and then became as far as DENPAC went on the DENPAC board of directors in 1982 was elected chair in 1985, serves as chair 
through 1988, became immediate past chair, because when you're on DINPAC, you stay on the board as immediate past chair. Uh, uh, just keep it on with DINPAC. Uh, in 19, uh, uh, about 10 years later, 1989, 1998, uh, there was an opening to become DINPAC chair again. Mm -hmm. What had happened is uh, one of the dentists uh, at that time, uh, uh, Jim Condry, was present. His term on one board was going to be involved with another board, and and he really they needed somebody just to serve for one year. So I convinced them. I said, just let me serve for one year. That won't mess anybody's terms up. Right. And so I, I served again as chair of Denpac in uh, 1998. Uh, and then became past chair again. So I've been on the DENPAC board as either chair or uh, vice chair or board member or uh, uh, immediate past chair for a long time. And one of the other positions that I currently serve in that I've served in for a long time is chair of the nominating committee for DENPAC. So you mentioned earlier, you, you, you need good members. You always Absolutely. need good people. And so rather than randomly pick, you know, whoever's turn it is, then in DENPAC, we do a really good job of, of working with our, our constituent staff at the TDA to find out who are our DENPAC reps that are doing a good job and, and seeing how rotations of people coming off the TDA board. So since I'm a, uh, this is my passion and I, and, and I'm, I'm a really a creature of, of really getting into the weeds on all this stuff, then I've managed to stick around and, and still doing that as DENPAC, uh, uh, nominating committee chair. So that's just DENPAC. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I served as chairman of the membership recruitment and retention committee for the Houston district dental society. Uh, I got on that committee, love that committee. They said, well, why don't you be chair of that? Uh, and so I did that for a while back in the day, any committee that you can think of on the local level for the Houston district dental society, I've served on that committee. Uh, I became, uh, a, a uh, let me see, a delegate to the TDA House of Delegates by about 1983. So this, uh, the 2020 House will be my 37th House uh, in succession, having missed a one. Uh, uh, and uh, my, uh, my first uh, House was held in, uh, in Corpus Christi. Uh, the, that was where the last TDA meeting that was held outside of San Antonio was held. And it was a great meeting. Uh, I could go into lots of stories about that, but, uh, but so anyway, I've been on the TDA house of delegates for a long time. Uh, during that time I've served as chair of reference committees many times. And, uh, I decided to, uh, uh, since I got to be DENPAC chair, uh, and I started getting known on, you know, on the, on the state level, then, uh, Around about that time, one of our TDA, ADA Board of Trustees member from Houston, Jack Harris, who was from this area, by the way, he was a state uh, representative from this, for the district that you, that you live in now, Chris. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack was a dear friend. And so in 1989, I got a call from him uh, and said, I want you to serve on the ADA Council on Dental Practice. At that time, Chris, I didn't know what a council was. Right. But since Jack Harris was calling me and asking me to serve on that council, my immediate answer was yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> and so then I had to study what's a council because I was in the ADA house at that time. 
but I didn't really know what a council was. And so I got to serve on that council from 89 to 93. In 92, I was elected vice chair of that council. During the time I was on the council, I served as uh, committee chairs, lots of different stuff. But two things that I'd like to, to, that I'm really proud of. I was the last chairman of the ACCDI, the committee, the subcommittee or the committee on alcoholism and other chemical dependency issues on the ADA, on the ADA level. Right. Uh, we serve with a lot of other people that are in addiction issues. I was chair of that council of that committee because they always wanted somebody to be, that was on the ADA council and dental practice to chair that, that, that group. Uh, and so I chaired that. And then I was the first chair of the dental wellbeing committee, DWC. And because they changed names. So why did they change names in 1989? So it was 1988, I was ACCDI chair. 1989, I was a, a dental well-being chair. Why did they change the name? I don't know. I was just thinking through, uh, through what happened in the late 80s. AIDS. Uh. AIDS came on the scene. And so therefore, since we had... Are we looking at another name change now? Yeah, uh, because it could be. Uh, since we were dealing for the first time with an issue, the you know bloodborne pathogen, and then it was affecting so many uh, issues that had to do with well-being, then we needed to expand that 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 group of dentists that were dealing with well-being issues, but not ex- make it just to where it had to deal with alcoholism and chemical dependency issues. Right. But how do we deal with well-being as a whole? And so I got to chair that first group, and that was really an education. Because when you go from a group of people that were primarily alcohols, alcoholics or drug addicts, and mm-hmm. then you started bringing in another group of people that, that had other well-being issues, there was some, it was really cool to be chair of that committee for one year. Uh, and so that was in 1989. Uh, and so after I finished uh, my time on the, uh, on the ADA and was no longer uh, a council member, I was already known on the ADA level uh, in, Washington, in uh, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, got to know some of the leaders uh, in leadership for the ADA. So I got a call uh, from Bill Tenpass, who was president of the American Dental Association, I think around 1993, 1994. And he said, Tommy, I want you to serve on a task force for structure and function for the American Dental Association. At that time, the ADA house had just defeated a Cooper's Libran study. They hired Cooper's Libran, mm-hmm. who's a company that looks at associations and comes up with recommendations on how to make your association better, how to change your House of Delegates, how to change your governance structure. And we looked at that the, on the ADA House of Delegates, uh, how, to, how to deal with governance, and, uh, and our House of Delegates voted almost everything down that, that Cooper's Libran had recommended. So my question, so I'm getting a little older now at this time. And so I said, Bill, sure, I'll serve on this committee. And it's an honor. And thank you for calling me. But why is it that you think we, as an ADA task force on structure and function, will be able to do what Coopers and Libran wasn't able to do? And he said, because we're dentists and we know our organization and we know the, the mechanics better than they do. And I think we'll be able to do this. So I served on that task force for a full year. And when it went to the ADA House of Delegates, the ADA House of Delegates pretty much voted down everything that was recommended. Because when you do bylaws changes on the ADA level uh, and then on the TDA level, it takes two thirds of a vote Absolutely. to change the bylaws. And so it, uh, it just wasn't able to, to take place. 
So anyway, that, that gave me the opportunity to get really known more so on a national level serving on that task force. Uh, so around that time, I ran for a secretary or for a speaker of the House of Delegates in the Texas Dental Association. At that time, Bob English was retiring. Mm-hmm. He was the speaker at that time. Dick Eklund was running. Uh, Sam Adams, a dentist from Houston, was running, and I ran. The three of us ran for that position. And uh, when the vote took place in the Texas Dental Association in San Antonio, I lost that race. And boy, you know, going into that race, if you'd have told me I was going to finish three, a third in that field, I'd, I'd say <laughs> you're crazy. But it was very humbling for me. And uh, Mitt Sorrells, one of my mentors uh, from the Houston area, came to me and said, Tommy, I, I, I know your, your heart. You want to be a leader. You have to go back to the Greater Houston Dental Society yeah. and go through the chairs and become president of the Greater Houston Dental Society in order to really get into leadership on, this, on the state level. I, I have to say, I, I had the, um, the great pleasure of getting to meet Mitt. Oh. Um, he, he was already in his decline. Dr. Galen Hughes introduced me um, whenever I was, um, I believe in my first year of dental school, I just gone by to visit Galen and say, hey, you know, how are things going? And uh, he actually said, you know, hey, I've, I've got someone here you need to meet um, because he is, he is the source of all things organized dentistry and you need to be involved. So uh, he was, uh, he was quite a guy. One of a kind. Absolutely. So when Mitt, you know, it's like EF Hutton, when Mitt, basically out when of Mitt's, love. Well, you know, our younger audience is not going to remember that, that, that commercial. Yeah. So when EF Hutton speaks. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. People listen. There you go. Yeah. And so uh, when, uh, when Mitt, out of love, you know, I just got defeated, uh, <laughs> said, Tommy, you need to go back to the Greater Houston Dell Society and get involved in the, in the leadership, and, and then you can come back and do something on a state level. You can't, can't do all these shortcuts that you've done just because you've gotten involved uh, politically uh, through DINPAC. So I, I listened, and so I did. So my, so, so another string is, let's go with the Greater Houston Dell Society. I, uh, was elected to the board of directors of the Greater Houston Dental Society in, uh, I guess it was around 1995, 94, 95, and worked my way, became chair, uh, president, chair, what do they call it? President-elect in 2000 and president in 2001. Uh, and then uh, immediately after uh, serving my year as president of the Greater Houston Dental Society and a lot of wonderful, challenging years during that time. Uh, serving as president of Component Dental Society, Chris, as I know you have. Uh, you and, know, and again it, this year. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, It's very challenging. There's lots <clears throat> of issues that come up that most members uh, and most of the people that are watching your podcast now have no idea and could care less about. But are, are, some are more important than others. And absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, I love that. Um, I, I love that example of watching the sausage being made oh, yeah. uh, because everyone enjoys a good piece of sausage, but mm-hmm. you have to watch it being made. Sometimes it takes on a whole new meaning. And so once again, I'd kind of stop my story here and just say uh, kudos to my wife because <laughs> oh, you know, absolutely, I couldn't have served <laughs> in all these different capacities unless I had the support of Mary Sue back home who during this time we were first one child, then two children and, uh, you know, there's, we all know now with what's going on with COVID, how much is involved with homework 
Well, uh, you know, the, back then there were schools during right. the school year that did most of the homework, but there was homework at home. Well, many nights when Mary Sue would be at the kitchen table going over homework with our one of our two children or both, then I'd be at a meeting. And so yeah. uh, uh, Mary Sue has kiddingly said, uh, you know, someday when I'm laid to rest on the tombstone, she's had, she's going to have it put gone to a meeting. Uh, and so uh, I just hope it, it's the right meeting. Right, no doubt. At that time. Yeah, it, my, you say that. It's so funny. Again, it's like home movies here. Uh, my wife made me promise one year that I wouldn't take any office for that year because she was president of Rotary that year and she needed my support. So it was interesting that turnaround of me having to support her. Um, and, and boy, did I learn a lot about what she does behind the scenes. <laughs> So uh, back to the to my tale. So uh, Mitt had just spoke, finished speaking to you, and yeah, he said, Mitt, "Go so back. back." And I went to the, the chairs, the Greater Houston Hill Society. Uh, and so my last year was 2001. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to revert back to uh, early on. Uh, there was a, uh, there's always been three major meetings in the state. The back during when I first started with the uh, Houston District Dental Society, our local meeting was the Greater Houston Dental Meeting. Now it's the Star of the South. In Dallas, their meeting at the time was the Dallas Midwinter Dental Meeting. It used to be held in January. Now it's the Southwest Dental Conference. And so uh, as a DENPAC rep early on, uh, I, I had a booth at the uh, uh, Greater Houston Dental Meeting. It was held in the old Shamrock Hotel, which has now you know, been demolished. Uh, and uh, and I, I had a great booth right as people went into the exhibit hall. And so my job was to get more people to give money to DENPAC, right? And so I had the current printout of who had given how much money. And, uh, and so I could pigeonhole people as they were trying to figure out where do I need to go in this exhibit hall and where are the speakers? I learned that manual. I knew it backwards and forwards. So I was like the greeter guy who would tell them where to go. And by the way, I noticed you haven't paid your DENPAC dues. So I got a lot of money that way. But at that meeting, uh, that was probably in 1982 or three. I'd been in the dental society for a few years. Uh, I was established as the DENPAC rep. They grabbed me on, I think it was Friday afternoon and said, Tommy, we're going to go to a caucus. I didn't know what a caucus was. Uh, that word was foreign to me. I'd never mm -hmm. heard that word. And so as we were walking, I was asking the people I was with, what is a caucus? So they were kind of explaining and I felt so proud that I was going to be included with Jack Harris, Mitt Sorrells, Sam Rogers, all these, to me, icons in dentistry, my mentors. Mm -hmm. And I was going to get in the room with them and we were going to discuss things. So as the discussion went around, there was reports on what was going on on the local level, which I was well aware of, on the state level, level that I was sort of aware of, and on the national level that I really didn't know too much about and how different people were serving on councils and committees and their reports. But at the end of that meeting, the meeting lasted about two hours. At the end of that meeting, I said, well, we, we, now this is the time that we announce our intentions. And so just by luck, I was almost the last person because you could kind of went in a circle. And so uh, as people would announce, they'd say, well, I'm going to run for TDA uh, alternate delegate uh, at the caucus in San Antonio uh, because you know, I, I served on the local level and I think that would be a good area for me. And so by the time it came around to me, I said, I'm going to run for president elect of the Texas Dental Association in 2001. 
and people looked at me like, <laughs> what? And and because by by that time I knew the civics. You know, the way we elect presidents in the Texas Dental Association is we go uh, by division. You know, it's the northeast, uh, southeast, uh, southwest division, yep. northwest division. Northeast Division, Southeast Division, it goes in a clockwise manner, and it's it's the way it's always been done. I know that this is probably too much minutia for a lot of your Oh, your no, no. I learned this, my first delegate meeting. Uh, I don't remember who I was having a conversation with, um, but someone said, and I think so-and-so might be running, and I saw a couple of heads shake, and I said, well, what's wrong with that? And they said, it's not his turn. <laughs> I didn't realize that was such a big deal until then. So you, now, now, this was in 1982. I'm talking, I'm going to run for TDA president mm -hmm. 30 years later or 20 years later. Yep. And what I did was I had already figured out when the rotation was, when it was going to be Houston's turn. I figured by that time I would be involved in the Dental Society enough to where then I could serve. Uh, and uh, they just laughed, but they kind of got a glimpse of like this guy's, really a far range thinker in right, terms of exactly. leadership. So back to just going off in 2001 on the TDA board of directors uh, on the greater Houston Dental Society as president, I went on the TDA board of directors at a time with the intent, with purpose to serve on the TDA board of directors for three years. Cause that's the term you, you get elected for, as a three year board member. Uh, you're served first years, uh, as director, second year, senior director, third year as vice president. Uh, and so the year I was vice president was the year that there was going to be an at-large election for TDA board of directors. I purposely came on the TDA board so that I would be a vice president while I was running for the at-large position of the TDA uh, uh, president-elect. And I went, so I ran and I got elected uh, in a field of three, Alan Moore from Austin and Hilton Israelson, uh, from Dallas and I ran, it was the only ever contested at large election that the TDA House of Delegates is, uh, TDA has ever done. And, and I went out on the first ballot, Chris. And so I became president elect of the TDA in 2005, 2006 and was president 2006, 2007. Excellent. So, uh, and then I've been in the ADA House of Delegates, like I said, since 1982. The, I guess the best position that I've ever had on the ADA level uh, besides all those task forces and uh, reference committee chairs along the way, was uh, 2013, Hilton Israelson was uh, the board member from Texas on the ADA Board of Trustees, and he appointed me to serve on the, DINPA, on the ADPAC Board of Directors. So I became a new director for ADPAC in 2013 and 2014 and 15. I was elected treasurer of ADPAC. And in 2016, I was elected chair-elect of ADPAC. I served there as chair-elect 2016, 2017, and, and then in 2018, 2019, I was chair of ADPAC. So that, that ended, you know, not too long ago. And uh, ADPAC is uh, the third largest healthcare pack in the United States uh, in, a, in a calendar year, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in an election year, in a two-year cycle, we uh, collect around $3.8 million. Uh, and so that makes us the third largest healthcare pack. And PACs on the state level and on the national level basically uh, support elected officials when they're running for the local, for the state uh, House and Senate. And, and then on the national level, people that are running for the House of Representatives 
and the Senate. And so in order to give money to, uh, to elected officials to uh, help retire their campaign debt, you got to raise money. So in effect, Chris, pretty much my entire dental uh, career, I've been a fundraiser for PACs. And uh, so fundraising is a, is a whole other it's kind a, of worms. And a so, whole other profession we could yeah. talk about. So um, talk to me a little bit about Clara. Clara is the uh, on the TDA level, Texas Dental Association. Clara stands for Council on Legislative and Regulatory Affairs. Uh, the predecessor to Clara was COGA, the C- Council on Governmental Affairs. When I was a relatively young dentist in the 80s, I served as a, oh, actually that same day I got a call from Jack Harris in uh, 1988 or 89 to serve on the ADA Council on Dental Practice. I got a call from the TDA president that same year. Uh, I think it was uh, you know, a gentleman from Northeast Texas. I can't think of his name right now. He said, Tommy, I want you to serve on COGA, on the TDA Council on Governmental Affairs. And I said, you know, I, I hate to say no, but I just said yes to Jack Harris to serve on an ADA council. I don't know if I can do both. He says, oh, I already talked to Jack. <laughs> he called you first and I'm calling you second. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when you serve on that council, uh, you asked me specifically about Clara. Uh, you know, it's more dues money from the Texas Dental Association go in to that, that effort uh, for the staff support on the TDA level, uh, and, uh, and the Council on uh, Legislative and Regulatory Affairs and our team of lobbyists than any other portion uh, of, of our budget uh, as far as councils. Uh, and it's, it's you know, you met recently with Matt Roberts. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Matt Roberts is the current chair of that. But other chairs over the years uh, have been uh, John Finley, uh, Jerry Long, uh, Rick Black, you know, some strong leaders and the Texas Dental Association over the years have served as chair. Typically, if you become chair of Clara, you stay in that chair position Absolutely. for quite a while. And it makes sense. So much continuity. You want to de- develop that name recognition because you're dealing with the legislature who typically are in office for quite a while. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, our lobbying team is second to none. Uh, and Some so, amazing folks. Yeah. Uh, absolutely amazing folks in, the, in, in those positions. So, We've kind of covered the range of things that you've done uh, in organized dentistry. I'm going to ask you to uh, to tell us your your biggest moment of um, perhaps regret serving, um, and your your biggest moment of feeling of accomplishment. What, mm-hmm. what, what would you like to share? And also, the last part of this is um, if you had to give younger dentists advice? Because one of the reasons I'm interviewing you is because I very much want people to understand that becoming part of organized dentistry, dentistry is approachable, it's doable, and it's, it's frankly something we should all do on some level. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you hit those three points for me? Well, regret. Uh, what would I be regretful about as far as organized dentistry or, or the governmental aspect of it? or Whatever you choose to do okay. with that question. Hmm. Uh, well, uh, uh, not too many regrets, Chris. Uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for every opportunity that I've had. Uh, I'll, let me tell this story. I think it would fit into that category. Uh, it was the ADA House of Delegates, I believe, 
in about 1990, maybe 91. Uh, I remember I, I served on the ADA Council on Dental Practice from 89 to 93. One of the things we deal with on the ADA Council on Dental Practice is with the American Dental Hygiene Association. We have an official visit during one of our council meetings from the president of the American Dental Hygiene Association, and with her comes her entourage, uh, the whoever the executive director of the American Dental Hygiene Association is, whoever their lobby team is, and because that's their opportunity to come into the ADA headquarters uh, at 211 East Chicago Avenue uh, in Chicago and come to the 22nd floor where our board meets and to make a presentation. And so, you know, we try to find common ground and many times we can. And so by meeting with the leadership on the national level, you know, remember I, I, I was very involved with PACs and <clears throat> I was used to going to, <clears throat> I was used to going to uh, legislative conferences on the national level, on the regional level where we talk about uh, hygiene issues and their, their agenda. Uh, and so, uh, so, I'm now on the TDA, in the TDA House of Delegates, and I think I was serving as a reference committee chair that particular year, and an issue came up uh, from one of my dear friends, uh, D. Ray. He's a general dentist from East Texas. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He's a periodontist from East Texas. Sorry, D. We went to dental school together, class of 79, Baylor College of Dentistry, and uh, like some of my classmates, they excelled. Uh, academically and were able to get into graduate programs and the uh, whose dad was a surgeon in, in Dallas uh, had a you know a bent for surgery and and became a periodontist a very good one at that and so uh, he brought a resolution uh, on the on in the TDA House of Delegates the way things work uh, as you're well aware of Duke, uh, uh, Doc uh, on the on the first hey, day you just called me Duke I'm gonna yeah. take that compliment yeah he's a hell of a guy yeah he is on the first day of the House of Delegates, on Thursday morning, you can bring a resolution uh, from the floor uh, at a specific time. And, uh, and uh, Dee knew that. So he brought forth a resolution asking for an alternative dental hygiene program for Texas. At that time, uh, and maybe still today, Alabama was the only state in the United States that had an alternative path to become a dental hygienist Basically, the alternative path is not accredited by CODA, the Commission on Dental Accreditation, but it allows dental hygienists in Alabama, maybe a dental assistant, I should say, who's been in your practice for at least five years and you see her as a valued team member and somebody who could do more things in the dental office. So they have a pathway in Alabama to where these dental assistants are sent to a school at the University of Alabama, I believe it is. Uh, for six weeks or two months and they go through a education process and then after that a testing process to become a dental hygienist through an alternative pathway that can only practice in the state of Alabama. Hmm. I can imagine how the uh, Dental Hygiene Association felt about that. Yeah, but they're not in our House of Delegates and so <laughs> since Dee came up with that idea on the TDA House of Delegates level right. and, uh, and, and presented it on Thursday morning, then it became a resolution. And so it just happens to come to the committee that I'm chairing. So I heard from Dee and a lot of dentists that had a lot of passion about this. While this would be great if we could take dental hygiene, dental assistants, then make them hygienists in our office 
and and when we can of course they understood that this would have to go through the legislative process but uh uh so i'm this is a story that fits under regret now i'm just all right going back to that <laughs> and so uh so when it came to my the reference committee that i was chairing there was good debate uh when it came to the eight to the tda house of delegates for that debate uh d went to the mic made good argument since i was opposed to his personally mm -hmm. to his uh argument i couldn't debate that issue from the mic uh as a reference committee chair so you can it's it's rarely done but you can get off of the mic uh, at the podium and go to regular mic and debate so i did that uh and so i debated against my close friend uh d uh, uh and and gave my side of the argument and my side of the argument had more to do with, well, I serve on the ADA Council on Dental Practice, and if we go through this process, you know, there's uh, uh, there's going to be legislative issues that are going to come up. Uh, uh, and and quite frankly, my mom, when I was a kid growing up, my mom was a registered nurse. And so when you're, and I know your mom's a registered yes, nurse, too, was. Uh, and, uh, and so mom being a registered nurse, uh, decided she wanted to up her credential. And by the way, the way she upped her credential was she became a surgical scrub nurse. So she had to take extra courses, go through a credentialing and testing process and become a surgical scrub nurse. Uh, and so to me, I saw this as an opportunity for, uh, 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 if you're a dental hygienist and you have, uh, if you're if you're a, uh, a dental assistant in the, in the in a dental office and you decide I want to become a dental hygienist, then you have to go through a credentialing process. Right. And so basically, the difference between D and I at that time was the credentialing process. I thought that the credentialing process that was in place was fair. It it involved a certain amount of sacrifice on a person's part to go through that credentialing process to get their license. And I didn't think it was fair for us to create an alternative pathway that was going to make it easier. Uh, but D disagreed, and definitely so did the House of Delegates that right. day. So after <clears throat> we actually voted on that resolution, the House of Delegates, I think there was only one or two dissenting votes, and I was one of them, uh, that was against that resolution. So it passed. And so I guess my regret would be that uh, I didn't just I, – I got off the podium I should have just let that happen mm -hmm. for me to think that I could have changed that, that tsunami that was taking place was, uh, you know, what was it wise. Uh, and uh, you know, kind of put me at odds for a little while for D I think he and I've since made up. <laughs> so, uh, you know, having been in the position of being in the house of delegates and having to stand in front of people with an idea that I wasn't sure if it was going to be popular or not, I can mm -hmm. definitely put my myself in your shoes there. And, um, I, uh, I, I think, I think I wouldn't have enjoyed that. <laughs> so I, if I could, Chris, I do yeah, want to please, point actually. out because, you because know, some of your viewers might be saying, well, whatever happened to that res that, that legislation, it passed in the TDA house of delegates. It went to the council on legislative and regulatory affairs. It started going through the legislative process and it, it, that legislation never saw the light of day because it had more to do with CODA than anything else. Absolutely. And, and, you know, basically making sure that it's an accredited program. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting though, that it, there, there is actually, and um, 
I've actually heard this story, guys, twice. Uh, and I, I, I asked him, I said, if you wouldn't mind, if you can work that in some way, that, you know, that would be great. Because it shows you how all of these different levels and committees work together or against each other to, to keep the balance the way that it should be. But um, I, I thought about it. And, you know, it's interesting to me. We don't have that alternative path, but we do have associate versus bachelor's degrees. Mm -hmm. And we don't make that much distinction there. Mm -hmm. um, it almost seems like they could have done that through an associate's degree program and simply had um, curtailed maybe the, um, the diagnostic capabilities um, such as they are of hygienists. I don't know. It, 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 it'd be a different world. It'd be interesting. Well, I could probably w work my comments uh, on what you just said, Chris, into saying maybe what was my, one of my most proudest accomplishments was because you Fantastic. asked that earlier. Uh, so I think one of the most proud accomplishments I had was uh, when I was president of the Texas Dental Association. Keep in mind when you're president, before you were president, you were president-elect. And so right. I was president-elect at the same time that Rick Black was president of the Texas Dental Association. Rick Black just uh, finished uh, his tenure of leadership, if you would, in the uh, Texas Dental Association and the American Dental Association uh, as uh, our trustee from Texas on the board of trustees of the American Dental Association. He was, I had the privilege of serving on the state level with Rick uh, and Rick's a strong leader. Uh, and so uh, uh, during the time Rick was president of the TDA and I was president elect just prior to that, uh, Herb Wade was president just prior to that, Pat Blanton was president. So during that time, I was on the TDA board and coming in to leadership and becoming president, we started a strategic planning process. Pat Blanton actually started that process. Uh, strategic planning, uh, for most of you that are watching, have who probably don't have an involvement in organized industry, uh, uh, strategic planning can be cumbersome. It can, you know, to, if you're already stretched as a volunteer member, time away from family and, and strategic planning sometimes makes meetings longer because before the meeting starts, you have to focus on, okay, where is our strategic planning now? What does the stuff we're going to be discussing today fit into that strategic planning? And then after you have that committee meeting, you meet again, uh, you, you touch back again. Okay. Now we've made these decisions today on this committee level and how does that fit into the strategic plan? And so a lot of people through the TDA level, leaders that I was involved with were kind of sick and tired of strategic planning. So it kind of fell away for a while in our state. So Pat knew the value of strategic planning. We have strategic planning on the AD level and the TDA level now. In fact, Duke Ho is, is chairman of that strategic planning uh, committee uh, now on the TDA level. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was rebirthing in Texas, coming back into, into vogue, thanks to the leadership of, of uh, Pat Blanton. Then it takes a while for that process to take place. Uh, and so uh, uh, as we went through that process with Pat and then with Herb uh, and then with uh, Rick as chair, by the time it came to me as being uh, president of the Texas Dental Association, we had formed a committee through DITA. Uh, the DITA is an acronym for Dental Education Trade and Ancillaries Council on the TDA level. 
to take on a project for uh, expanded duties for dental assistance, assistance and local anesthesia by dental hygienists. And so I don't want to talk about local anesthesia by dental hygienists. We, we better not. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the Dental <clears throat> Education and Trade and Ancillaries, DITA, brought forth uh, a resolution uh, that dealt with expanded duties for dental assistance. Well, uh, that came forward to the TDA House of Delegates in 2008 when uh, David May was president of the TDA and I was the immediate past president. And although it never passed, there's a lot of good work that was done on the state level that looked at how can we, how can we change the way we practice chairside every day in our private practices and perhaps work in a, in a more efficient manner. Now, uh, part of my background, so I'm proud of that, Chris, uh, mm-hmm. even though it, it has really come to light, I'm real proud of the work that took place that got up to that level. Part of my background, uh, uh, I served on the Danby Board of Directors starting in 93, 94. Danby stands for Dental Assisting National Board. And so there is a credentialing board for dental assistance. Uh, I went on their website last night to kind of bone up. Uh, there's 37,000 dental assistants nationwide now that are uh, credentialed uh, through Danby. Uh, and, uh, and so you can serve up to two consecutive three-year terms on the Danby board. I got appointed by the American Dental Association because I just finished uh, my, uh, my rotation through the ADA Council on Dental Practice, which in addition to dealing with dental uh, hygiene issues, we deal with dental assisting issues on the national level. So I was familiar with some of the people. They, they knew me. So I got appointed and I served for two consecutive serves. So during that time on the Danby board, I learned a lot about dental assisting and I became aware of a term, another acronym, EFTA. EFTA stands for Expanded Function Dental Assistance. And I found out that in many states, Ohio, uh, Connecticut, uh, uh, there's a lot of states that have expanded function dental assistance. I was aware of that because of my background on Danby, and I was just coming on the TDA board when this strategic planning process started. So I was very interested in how that might be able to take place in Texas. Now, what, um, what I'm, I'm, of course, familiar with it, um, but talk to our viewers about what the difference between an RDA and an FDA is um, in general, because that varies from state to state. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in Texas, we have RDAs, they're registered dental assistants. And to be a registered dental assistant in Texas, you take a test in infection control, jurisprudence, and radiology. You take those tests and pass those, then you're a registered dental assistant. Uh, And to keep up your uh, credential, you have to take a certain number of of, of, uh, continuing education credits per year. I think it's 12. Uh, It is. uh, And... uh, uh, and so to be a Danby certified CDA dental assistant, then uh, there's, uh, you go through a, a testing process. It's a little bit more rigid. Uh, those, uh, those tests for a Danby certified dental assistant are typically done at some sort of a prometric site to where you, you go and maybe you can even do those online now. I know there used to be prometric sites around the state that you'd have to go to and take a test. Uh, there's a lot of studying involved that, uh, that gets to, to, to the point of taking that test. So uh, if you're a, a graduate of one of the c- 
CODA accredited dental assisting programs in the United States, and there's a lot of them. Uh, not too many in Texas. The one in the Houston area is uh, uh, with Houston Community College. Uh, I was on that uh, uh, that uh, advisory board for 12, 15 years. Uh, uh, another committee meeting that I went to periodically because uh, uh, that accredited, CODA accredited dental assisting program as the, their dental assistants go through that training program at the end of that their their program they can challenge the Dan B exam if they choose to and since they went to an accredited program then they can become a certified dental assistant right out of dental school I mean right out of dental assisting school but there's also a pathway for uh, OJT for on the job trained dental assistants right they can challenge the Dan B exam too so there's about four pathways to become a certified dental assistant and just still being on the Dan B board and being on there for about five years when I went on the TDA board, I started bringing those ideas to the DDA board and they, they were not well received. As you can well imagine, in other words, my, my colleagues, uh, their thought process was, well, that's going to cost a certain amount of money and who's going to pay for that certification? Is it going to be the dental assistant who pays for that? Maybe, maybe not, but more than likely, it's going to be the employer that pays for that uh, certification process. Right. It, so it, it depends on what business model. I, I would say uh, in, in our dental office, I don't pay for the credentialing process for the dental hygienists that I used to employ. I'm an employee dentist now, just right. like them. But <laughs> they pay for their credentialing process. So you could make the argument, well, dental assistants will do the same. But since we all know they're on a lower pay scale, then it could be that the dentist would. So many states who have credentialed EFTAs, do not use Danby for that credentialing process. They do that within their state. And so that was what was being discussed at that time, uh, not quite a decade ago, but yeah, actually more than a decade ago, on the, where there was discussion on, well, how are we gonna do the credentialing? So that, would, that could be determined. I noticed going on the website for Danby last night that Arizona has something like 16 different tests that they, they contract with Danby because they outsource that. <clears throat> the Arizona Dental Association outsources that credentialing process for dental assistants to Danby. But I noticed there's only about nine states that do that with Danby. It's available, but so it's, you know, it, it's, uh, I can say as being a Danby board meeting member that they do a really good job of credentialing for dental assistants, but you know, it, it, it creates to me a higher, another tier. And Absolutely. So, well, um, I want to give you the final words here. I, I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about what your advice would be uh, given a young dentist getting out of school right now, or perhaps even in school. What would your advice be about getting involved in organized dentistry? Uh, what pathway would you take? And um, maybe, maybe, maybe just give them a little bit of advice about um, if you had to do it over again starting today what that journey would look like? Well, I'd like to start back to my time on the ADA Council on Dental Practice. When I was there from 89 to 93 and getting to go from Katy, Texas, go to Intercontinental Airport, hop on an airplane, fly to Chicago O'Hare, and, and, uh, and take a cab at, at, into downtown Chicago and, and go up to the 22nd floor and get to meet, meet with blue chippers from all over the United States that were serving on that council and getting to know the way the ADA works 
uh, I found out that through the ADA Council on Dental Practice, there was a seminar called Success. Uh, and at that time, there's that seminar still is in existence. It's kind of changed. At that time, that seminar was given to the junior and senior dental students of most of the dental schools in the United States. It was, it was uh, not mandatory. The ADA didn't force themselves on the dental schools to make that part of their curriculum. But most of the dental schools at that time welcomed the ADA because it didn't cost them anything. And it didn't cost the ADA anything. The way it was paid for with the ADA was through corporate sponsorships. And so I became a recognized speaker on practice management because it wasn't Tommy's seminar on practice management. It was the American Dental Association seminar on practice management. And Chris, I really got into that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had a training system through, uh, that I participated in as a new member uh, on the success seminar series, and then eventually became the chair of that, uh, uh, how to train our speakers. We typically took speakers like yourself, somebody that's successful in their private practice is not really particularly involved in leadership position on the local or the state mm -hmm. level uh, in their component or their constituent, but yet has a passion for dentistry. And all they had to do was apply like I did. And then once you uh, go through a process where you send in a video back then of your speaking style, then we looked on it on the council of dental practice. We may draft you. And so once again, it's a, it, you don't make money at that. You give up time of your private practice, but corporate sponsors would pay for your airfare to fly coach. And mm -hmm. I would fly to uh, Hartford, Connecticut uh, and land at their airport and take a cab uh, and stay at some uh, Sheraton near the dental school. Mm -hmm. The next day I would talk at the dental school. And then typically at the end of that day, I would hustle back to the airport and fly back. And so I'd be out of my office a couple of days, which definitely uh, uh, affected my bottom line in my practice. But to me, it was worth it to be able to stand before dental students as some sort of an expert. Right. Well, if I'm going to bring practice management information to dental students, then I better well know that seminar. If I'm just reading the bullet points off of that slideshow, then that's not a very good slide presentation. And by the way, they were slides back then. That was prior to PowerPoint. Now, now, now hold on. Was this with the, uh, the Kodak carousel? Exactly. Kodak fact, carousel? Oh gosh, Chris. <laughs> what I would do is, I, since I wanted to do that so well, I would lug my uh, Kodak carousel projector and my slide deck with me. And in that night in the, in the Sheraton in, in Hartford, Connecticut, I would project onto the wall of the hotel room, those slides to go over and where I didn't have to read those bullet points. So I would be sharp as a tack and be on point to be able to deliver that. And so, uh, uh, after that, uh, uh it's, uh, I decided to go and get my MBA, uh, at Texas tech university. In fact, I started that the year that I was immediate past president of the Texas dental association. You know, I, I didn't even know that you had your MBA. I, I learned something new about you every time I talked to well, you. Well, my thought was, Chris, what am I going to do? Uh, since I've been going 90 to nothing, you know, when you're president of the Texas Dental Association, you're running, you're the CEO in a sense mm -hmm. of, a, of a major corporation. And uh, uh, of course, the executive director and the staff that she 
or, or he manages is really the nuts and bolts is, is the ongoing work of the Texas Dental Association or any constituent staff. But the, the, the chair, uh, the president of the DDA has a lot to do with managing that group. And so uh, my buddies who had been president before me said, Tommy, you're, we're concerned about you. As you become immediate past president, your phone stops ringing. Do you have a plan? And I said, yes, <laughs> actually I do. I'm going to go to an MBA program at Texas Tech. So <clears throat> it was a distance learning in that I didn't do it computer. I flew a distance to learn uh, from Hobby Airport back and forth. Oh, man. And, and so during those two years, to, to me, I now had an MBA, a credential to go with my experience through the ADA, through the success seminar, and maybe I could become a practice management consultant or, or somebody that would uh, be a, a leader in the field of, of practice management. Uh, but instead, what I found out was my, my biggest asset was my private practice back in Katy. Absolutely. I, I went back there and really made some significant changes in our business model and, and you know, made it better when it went through the, through the sale process. Anyway, how does this fit back to, to the original story? To, I teach at the dental school at the University of Texas School of Dentistry in Houston. And, uh, and I've been doing that for the past two years. By the way, there's a credentialing process involved with that. Uh, and uh, and it's, not, it's not as easy as you might think. Mm -hmm. But so now I am a, a clinical associate professor at the University of Texas School of Dentistry. I teach a business of dentistry course it was my first class was this past fall. My next Fantastic. one will be this coming fall. Uh, and so I get to, <clears throat> and in addition to all the stuff I've done on the TDA and the ADA level, uh, I'm now teaching the next generation of dentists. And, and I, I, I'm also a clinical professor. I'm in the clinics as well. And I work under Jerry Long, Dr. Jerry Long in the PACE department. PACE is an acronym that stands for uh, practice consultants, alumni affairs, continuing education and ethics. And uh, I'm proud to be in part of the PACE consultant group. Uh, and so my advice, that was a long framing statement, uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, but that's, that's me. My advice to a dentist, who, a young dentist who's just graduated from dental school, getting out into private practice, is to join the Component Dental Society. Uh, you, as a first-year member, it's almost free. Uh, uh, I think by the time you get your second year, it's a great, it's a graduated payment thing. But uh, find out where the Component Society uh, is. Uh, you can go online and find that out, or ask another colleague. Many times, if you're associating with somebody else, uh, you can find out about it. Now, let's just say, for sake of discussion, that you're in a DSO. And not all DSOs heartily embrace organized dentistry, uh, then you might not be able to find somebody in the particular office setting that you're working that's involved with organized dentistry, but it's easy to find somebody who is. You can even go online. And once you go to a meeting, uh, it may be just like it was for me, my first meeting, when uh, somebody that uh, I, I, I saw as being somebody that was being put before people uh, as, as uh, a representative of dentistry, found out that first meeting, he wasn't a representative of dentistry, the, the, of organized dentistry at that time. Things have changed a lot. Uh, I get off, often asked, and I'm teaching my class, what do you embrace uh, uh, 
the private practice model that you've worked under for all these years? Or are you embracing DSOs? How do you fit on that? To me, they're both business models. Absolutely. And, and it's my job as a, uh, as a professor is to, um, to just give information. And then, yeah, if they want to ask questions afterwards, that's fine. My personal opinion on DSOs is they're here. They're, they're not going to go away. And that if we ostracize them, then as, as, as being just awful in every aspect, then our, our young dentists that are graduating that are trying to decide whether to spend extra money but to come in, become members of organized dentistry may not do so because they don't want to be part of a group that's being ostracized. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's more harm to the profession than good would be accomplished by that. So, um, guys, you hear him? <laughs> Go to a meeting. You know, find out where the local meetings are. And um, you'll find that, in general, the same 15 or 20 or even 30 people, if you're Greater Houston, those are going to be the people that you see. And that's because they're real leaders in our profession. And when you have, because everyone along your course of, uh, along your course in this profession, I have met very few dentists who haven't had a threat of a board complaint at the very least. Mm -hmm. And um, which is another benefit that we could go over just the, the peer review uh, I was, I was aspect of things. The peer review committee for the, for I the know you were, I know you were. I, I, I actually had some, I had a, a fellow dentist suggest to a patient that she report me. And whenever the peer review saw what was going on, they said, well, this guy's obviously he's out to get you because your records are pristine. And, you know, it was a huge, I can't even say what, and what emotional turmoil it is when you truly care about what you do to be called in front of a, a, a committee of your peers to defend something and to have the peer review committee step in on that review the case for me and say, she has nothing here and you're okay. Don't worry. Had to be the biggest load off of my heart um, that probably I've ever experienced in dentistry. So um, go to the meetings. One of these days you may need to know these people and you may need them to know you. Chris, I've enjoyed this. I have too. So, um, well, Tommy, thank you for joining me here and, and uh, driving all this way out to come to come to the uh, the studio. And I tried to convince him to uh, roll around on the mats in the in the studio next door, but he said he said nothing doing, man. My not wrestling days not new shoes. <laughs> thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the Deer Doc Podcast and for listening to the sound of my voice drone on for goodness, it must be an hour and a half now. So. Um, Really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting the program, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms. <laughs>